Well, we've been looking on Sunday mornings, well, starting last week, and we'll continue for a couple more weeks, at the body, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 gives us great insight to the body of Christ. It's not the only book of the Bible, and so we'll reference it with several other books, but it gives us great insight on what the body of Christ is and what the body of Christ is to be about. So if you found your place there in Romans 12, or if you've turned your Bible on and and, uh, scrolled to the right place, and some of you are like, I just... Pastor, I have a hard time with all of these people using the Bible on their phone. Well, keep in mind that the Bible wasn't always like this. I mean, it wasn't until the late 1400s, right, that the printing press was invented. And uh, even then, not everybody could afford a copy of the Bible. Uh, It was originally on papyrus reed or uh, vellum, the animal skins. And so uh, for those of you who say, well, we just need to to, to open our Bibles the old-fashioned way, then, then pull out your scrolls at this time and open it up. And uh, some of you pull out your more modern paper Bibles, and then some of you turn on your most modern Bible app and find Romans chapter 12. Now, you know, young people, that doesn't mean go play video games while I'm preaching, right? But find your Bible app or whatever, and let's open the Word of God together, and let's look at Romans chapter 12. Let's stand as we read together. Uh, beginning with a, a couple of the verses that Jeff read a moment earlier, and then I'm going to skip a passage, and, and I'll explain why when we get there. Beginning with verse 3, he says, For I, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, um, he, he says, I say this, not to think of yourself or himself more highly than he ought to think, but th- think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but All the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, I believe what he goes into after verse 5 is a parenthetical statement that deals with spiritual gifts. So if you will allow me, I will come back to this next Sunday as we will focus on spiritual gifts. I will be preaching and teaching on those gifts next Sunday. So you've got to come back to get the middle part of this text. And then the parenthetical statement ends after verse 8. and verse 9, he goes back to what he was talking about. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Hate or abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, and distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. And then what I believe Paul does in this text, as you really study the the way he arranges the words, is he goes into how the church can connect with those outside of the church. And so we'll save that one for a couple of weeks from now. We'll come back and talk uh, talk about how the church connects with those outside of the church. Next Sunday, we'll look at spiritual gifts. But this Sunday, I want us to look at those particular verses, verses 3 through 5 and 9 through 13, without the parenthetical statement on gifts, and talk about the body of Christ being together in harmony. The body of Christ being together in harmony. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to give us insight and wisdom into this text, but more important than that, that you give us the passion to apply it, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word today, but we would be doers of the word, and that we would be united for your kingdom's cause, for God's glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I can't think of a a more important subject today for the body of Christ, and 
to be just very transparent with you, this has been a number one priority in my life and in my ministry ever since God called me to be the pastor of Trinity over 13 years ago. And you can ask folks that have served on staff with me since then. You can ask Pastor Ben what was the topic of our conversation the first time that he came and, and met with me when he felt, here's something God's doing in my life and it seems to match what Trinity's experiencing right now. You can ask other staff members that have served with me over the years, what is of preeminent importance and significance for me as a pastor, as a shepherd of the body of Christ, and I will tell you over and over again, and I think they would tell you over and over again, that it is make unity in the church a priority. Above all else, let's guard that unity. How many of you remember, now some of you can't remember this because you're only 20 years old or less, but how many of you remember the Great Blizzard of 1993. Raise your hand. Remember that 1993 blizzard? Yeah, some of you are going, what's a blizzard? Um, <laughs> those of you who have been born since 1993, or, you know, what's a blizzard? The 1993 blizzard swept from the, the, the southeastern United States all the way up the coast. It was experienced by 40% of the United States population. I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time. Though the storm originated in the Gulf, it actually became snow from areas as far south as Birmingham, Alabama, Macon, Georgia. It worked its way up. Many places got 12 and 20 and, and even further up north, even more snow than that. It stopped a nation from New England to Alabama. Everybody had to take notice during that blizzard of 1993. Now, here's a significant thing about that. Snowflakes are very delicate and fragile things, are they not? Snowflakes, I, I guarantee you, something that all of these kids learn in kindergarten is there are no two snowflakes that are exactly alike. So they are very different, and they are very fragile. And as we see here in Romans chapter 12, the body of Christ is made up of individuals who are very different and we are very fragile. But I believe this with all my heart, Trinity. If we stick together, <laughs> we can stop a nation. If we stick together, we can make the world stand up and take notice because of the power of of God that is manifest in the body of Christ. If the devil can't stop us from applying what we learned last week in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and giving our lives completely to Christ, his next step then will be to divide and conquer, to not let us be unified, but to divide us, to keep us from building any kind of momentum for the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, Then make every effort to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's my responsibility as a pastor. It's your responsibility as a member of this church. That's to make every effort, to do everything within your power to protect the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The question then is how do we protect unity? How do we ensure harmony in the body of Christ? Well, much like a snowstorm where the snow has to come together and stick together, a bunch of fragile elements that are distinct, that are, that are very different on their own, 
that, that come together, stick together, and make a nation take notice, the conditions have to be right. That's why it hadn't happened in 20 years. Perhaps that's why we haven't had a great awakening, spiritually speaking, in this nation in many, many years. Is because the conditions haven't been right. So what I want to do is, is look at this text, and I want you and I to see the conditions for harmony in the body of Christ, such harmony that leads to a, a powerful awakening in the church. The first condition is this, that it's the condition that we call spiritual maturity. Now, this really goes back to verses 1 and 2. That's where it all starts. When we give our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, when we are sold out to King Jesus... And as a result of that, we're getting in on the will of God. We're not being conformed to this world. A lot of times there's not unity of, in, in the body of Christ. We'll see this later in the text because there's so much worldliness in the church. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of that's the beginning point. And then you get to verse 3, and you see Paul's motivation. Like in verse 1, he's motivated by the mercy. That's God not giving us the judgment we deserve. He comes back and he says, now we're motivated by the grace of God. He says, I say this by the grace of God. That means because of God's unmerited favor. Because I get better than I deserve by that grace, I want to encourage you to show grace to others. Because we've gotten better than we deserve in life that should lead to a certain humility that helps us to unite with others. It's kind of the attitude we see in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8 where he says, Jesus himself said, freely you have received, therefore freely give. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You'll never have to forgive a brother or sister in Christ. You'll never have to forgive your spouse. You'll never have to forgive your children or your parents more than God for Christ's sake has already forgiven you. You'll never have to go to a cross and die for their sins the way that Jesus went to a cross and died for your sins. And so it's that grace that motivates us. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 gives us a word that if we would heed, it would bring unity in so many local churches and in the church invisible around the world. When he says, let your speech be with grace, means talk to people better than they deserve. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. That's the grace that motivates us, that moves us to the humility that he goes on to talk about back in verse 3. To everyone who is among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. If you want unity in the body of Christ, don't go around saying, well, well I'm all that and they just don't get it, I, and I don't know why I don't receive the prominence in the family that I feel like I deserve. Verses 4 and 5 remind us that we're all, as Jeff mentioned earlier, we're all on the same team. We're to be a body working together in harmony. So we're to think soberly. We're to have the right opinion of ourselves, humble before God. And then he says in verse 4 that we have these, we, we are many members. We're all on the same team. All the members don't have the same function. We have different positions that we play, different roles. And next week we'll look at the gifts. So being many, we are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see the 
spiritual gifts of, of leadership being described. And then he talks about the role of the leaders to lead the church into maturity. As he says, he handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working with Christ's body, the church, until we're all, listen to this, this is Eugene Peterson's translation, rhythmically and easily with each other. We're, we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other. Efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. It goes on to say, verses 14 through 16 of Ephesians 4, no prolonged infancies among us. We will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Spiritual maturity brings about unity. It sets the atmosphere for unity in the body of Christ because spiritual maturity is us becoming more like Jesus. And the more we become like Christ, the more we love one another, the more we're working together rhythmically in harmony for his purposes. We begin to act and, and talk more like Jesus in our relationships with one another. I, I've told this or used this illustration before, but I think it fits right here perfectly. And that is, if I were to line up pianos all across the front and I were to tune the first piano and try to tune the second one to the first. Well, by the way, it would be a mess because I'm not a piano tuner. But if I were a skilled musician and I was able to tune one piano and then the next to that one and then the next to that one and then the next to this one, then by the time you got to the end of tuning all the pianos, you still would not have these pianos in tune one with another. However, if you used a tuning fork and tuned all of the pianos to the same tuning fork, then these pianos would be in tune one with another. Jesus is to be that tuning fork. It's not about you becoming like me or me becoming like you or us trying to do something that somebody else is doing in the family of God. It's all about us saying, I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And I pray that I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And as we grow in spiritual maturity, we're establishing that atmosphere for unity and harmony in the body of Christ. Now, the temptation, remember, if the devil's tactic is to divide and conquer, is his first attempt to do so going to be to try to get you mad at me or me mad at you? Or are you mad at somebody in your family or a friend or somebody else in the church? Are you jealous for some position or something like that? That's not going to be his first stab at it. His first stab at it is going to be then to divide and conquer. So listen to what James says. If he wants to keep you spiritually immature, he says, uh, James uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot attain. You fight in war, 
you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not have because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Scripture also tells us we ask not knowing the will of God. What was James saying? He's saying all of these fights are coming about because you're walking in the flesh and not walking in the spirit. You are spiritually immature, and that's where fight and dissension comes from. And I love the fact that here at Trinity we're learning that there is unity and there's harmony. There's there's wonderful power of God at work when we are growing in spiritual maturity. And as there is spiritual depth, as a result of that spiritual depth, there is Christ-likeness. As a result of Christ-likeness, there is unity in the body. And so the first condition that we need to embrace is that of spiritual maturity. The second one flows out of the first. The first one has to be in place before we can move to the second one because the second one kind of flows out of that first condition. Here's the second condition. It's it's the atmosphere of sincere love. Sincere love has to be in the atmosphere. So we move to verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. That word love is the word that many of you know in the Greek. It's agape. Agape refers to God's unconditional love. That's the fact that he loves us, as we sang about earlier. He loves us regardless of where we've been or what we've done in life. God's love is not contingent on the good things we do for him. We are saved by his grace, his unmerited favor, because that grace was extended as a result of God's unconditional love. He simply loves us. We say it all the time. We've said it since we were children. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's that unconditional love, but most of us never grasp it. Amen, Tom. We, we talk about that all Most people just, just do not grasp the fact that God loves them. Because we can't wrap our mind around this kind of unconditional love. And now he says this is the kind of love that we're to have for one another. But he says, have that without hypocrisy. In other words, be sincere. Don't pretend to love each other. Sometimes we're guilty of doing that as even families, right? Got to act like we love each other. Now we're going to church. See, hypocrisy means wearing a mask. And so what this is saying is, let it be for real. Don't say, okay, well, I'm in worship today. I've got to put on my love mask and act like I love everybody. You've got to put on my love mask, act like the family's all getting along, act like we love each other. No, he's saying let it be sincere, sincere love, without hypocrisy. That means not that you're being blindly tolerant. And so he goes on to say, hate what is evil. He's not saying hate people. Hate evil actions. You, you still hate sin. See, you don't say, well, because I love them, I'm just going to ignore the sin in their life. No, that's not what it's saying. We still confront sin, but we do so in love. Let love be without hypocrisy. It still calls in sin. And, and cling to what is good. Celebrate the good that's going on in their lives. But we love each other sincerely, speaking the truth in love. Love without hypocrisy points out that what unites us also distinguishes us. Love without hypocrisy says, you belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus. We may disagree on a lot of things, but we're going to love each other, and there's going to be a kindred spirit. There's going to be a love that permeates the atmosphere, and this condition is going to lead to unity in the body of Christ. But listen, it does distinguish us from those who do not love Jesus. Jesus. 
we're still to love them, but it's not in that same type of fellowship. For instance, let me put it this way. How many of you have blue eyes? Raise your hand. See, I just united a group of people in here. They all have something in common, blue eyes. But I also distinguished them from everybody else in here, did I, did I not? Those of you who couldn't raise your hand. Those of you maybe like me that have brown eyes or green eyes. Maybe there's another color out there. I don't know. But, but I, I disting, the, the same thing that united a group of people that put them in one category also distinguished them from others. And so it doesn't say throw discernment out the door, but let love be real without hypocrisy. There was a situation in our particular denomination years ago when we were experiencing a revival and we were returning to the authority of the Word of God as the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And during those days, there were those who were from a more liberal persuasion that wanted to see our denomination move in a direction where we did not call the Bible the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word anymore. And they basically made a statement in one of our annual meetings. They stood and they made a statement that said, listen, if you conservative, Bible-believing evangelicals, fundamentalists, whatever words they use, some of them weren't always that nice, they said, if you don't learn to compromise, then we're never going to be able to work together. And one of my heroes said, we don't have to work together. And his point was, there are some things that distinguish us. Jesus Christ, the Word of God. God's revelation, the mission he's called us to, those things distinguish. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good and right. But in that clinging, realize that there's room for the whole family. And in that family, we're to have love one for another. So confrontation, confession of sin, battling sin, pointing out blind spots in our lives, those are part of that love relationship that we have. But I want you to see the tone of all of that. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Now, the word, of, the word agape is not in verse 10. He adds to that when he says brotherly love. That's, that's a phrase that some of you are familiar with. We've got a city named after that, that, that compound word called Philadelphia. It's the word Adelphos has to do with brother, and, and he adds the word philos, which is kind of a family love there. He says, let brotherly love be the source of all of this. But before he gets to that, he says, be kindly affectionate. That's philostorge. It has to do with the love a parent has for a child. A child has for a parent. He says, let's, let's realize something, church. Here's the atmosphere that we're creating of love. It's that we're a family. That you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. That there's one head to this family. That's the Lord Jesus Christ himself but we're going to love each other like family, even if there's confrontation, confession, the battling of sin, pointing out blind spots. The tone is always that of a Christ-centered, spirit-filled family. We're kind of looking here at, at love, the fruit of the Spirit. See, next week we'll get to the gifts of the Spirit. But let's be abundantly clear, church, the fruit of the Spirit is greater evidence 
of the Spirit-filled life and spiritual maturity than the gifts of the Spirit. There are a lot of talented people who are doing a wonderful thing in the church. There are people that are talented, serving in all kinds of areas. But you know you can get in the flesh and still have a talent. You know you cannot even be born again and have a talent or appear to have a gift. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Didn't we preach? Didn't we heal? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus said, I will say to them on that day, depart from me. I never knew you. So it's possible to use our gifts and serve in different areas and to have certain talents and and the appearance of skill in certain areas and not even be born again. But I'll tell you what's not possible. It's not possible to have agape love, Christ-centered, unconditional love for each other without being spiritually mature and spirit-filled. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. And he talks about you can have all of these gifts, but if you don't have love, they don't profit you anything. Then he describes what love is. And so love, the fruit of the Spirit, is evidence of spiritual maturity in the Spirit-filled life. Out of that love flows joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we have spiritual maturity, out of that spiritual maturity flows sincere love. And now the atmosphere is coming together. Now the the snowstorm is getting ready to build and be unleashed because the atmosphere, the, the conditions are almost right. And out of the love flows our third condition, and that is the condition of a, a servant's heart. A servant's heart. When we focus on serving others, when we see the body of Christ corporate worship, those times that we come together as the body of Christ, those times that we're being the body of Christ in the world, when we see it as a responsibility for us to serve one another rather than to be served, when we look at it as an opportunity where I can bless somebody else and not complain about whether or not I got blessed when I was with the body of Christ, then we are about to see everything come into place for great unity and harmony in the body of Christ. And so verse 11, here's what the servant, servant's heart does. He says, not lagging in diligence. By the way, if idle time is the devil's playground, anybody ever have your mama tell you that? Idle time is the devil's playground. If idle time is the devil's playground, then what the devil would like to do is to get you busy not serving, <laughs> not busy serving, but to place idle time in the life of the church so that they have to come up with something to fight about. That's why Colossians chapter 3, 23 talks about the passion which we, which we should live. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all for the glory of God. Do it with all of your heart. Work, work at it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord we'll receive the reward. And so he's saying, stay busy, stay active serving. Proverbs 18 and verse 9 says, The one who is slack in his work is a brother to a destroyer. And so he says, not lagging in diligence. Look back at verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. But fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. If if not lagging in diligence has to do with the action, be active, then fervent in spirit talks about the attitude that should accompany the action. 
By the way, there might be some folks here that are Martha's. You know the difference between Mary and Martha. Mary was the one sitting at the feet of Jesus adoring him, and Martha was busy serving, and she got all upset that somebody else wasn't serving. Listen, if you are active without the right attitude, you'll drive everybody else crazy. If you're active without the right attitude, not only will nobody else join you, they won't want to be around you. So there's somebody, you know, it's, I remember I had a particular roommate back when I was in seminary. There was about six of us sharing apartments. So you can imagine there's a little bit of conflict sometimes, and we rub each other the wrong way in different personalities. We were six guys sharing an apartment, and one of our roommates, is he's kind of in the kitchen, and, and he's washing dishes and cleaning up and straightening up everybody else's mess. And, you know, we're all watching a ball game, and I could tell he got real upset that we weren't joining in. He didn't come in and say, is anybody else going to help me out? He just started banging the pots and pans around and slamming stuff. Some of you are like, yeah, my spouse does that. He's slamming stuff around, and, and, and we all knew he's getting upset because we're not in there pulling our weight, helping out. But what was the attitude doing? It was making us say, and I think we want to go outside. We think we want to get out of the apartment. We want to get away from this guy. There's some people that are serving in the church like that. And they're serving and they're mad because nobody else is helping them. And with that, that attitude, nobody else wants to help them. Nobody else wants to be around them. Why won't anybody else serve on this ministry team with me? Why won't anybody else go to the mission field with me? Why won't anybody else? What is the attitude? Passion. Loving what you do. It's why I love to serve at Trinity. It's why I love serving with our deacons. It's why I love serving with the staff in this church. I'm going to tell you, we work hard, don't we, Ben? But we have fun. Jeff, the interns that served this summer, they'll tell you, man, we worked hard. We like to have fun. There should be that attitude that goes along with the action, passion about what you do, loving what you do has to do with that servant's heart's just boiling over inside of you. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We'll come back to verse 10 in just a little bit because I think it's a great verse to close with, but I want to look at verse 9 in Galatians first. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's passion. Why are you doing what you do? We should have a passion about serving God that is a contagious passion that builds unity and causes other people to want to be a part. And then he says serving the Lord. This is the third time a word for serving is used in this text. And I know you didn't ask for a lesson in the Greek language this morning, but this is the third different Greek word that's used for serving. The first one is used in verse 1, which talks about our reasonable service, a reasonable worship. It's the word latreia. We get our word liturgy from that word, which talks about worship and, and, and orderly worship in our life. And then the second word is the spiritual gift that's used, diakonia. We even get our word deacon from that, where some people are just gifted to serve in particular areas. But here he uses the word where he talks about serving the Lord. He uses the word we get, the, it, it, the Greek there is doulos, douluo, that has to do with saying, you know what? I am a bond slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not my own. I've been bought with the price. And so I have no choice but to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm a bond slave. I have no choice but to serve him. And as I'm busy serving out of sincere love that is the result of spiritual maturity, then I'm adding to the unity of the body of Christ. If you want to see division in the church, it will often come from areas where people aren't even serving. It's like the lady that was complaining and and, and fussing about the budget and couldn't believe that they had spent 10 bucks, that the finance committee had approved the expenditure of 10 bucks on three brooms. And she said, what in the world do we need three brooms for? And she went and she complained at a business meeting. She complained to the finance team. She complained to the deacons. Somebody came to the pastor and said, what in the world is that lady so upset about? $10 on three brooms. Why is she losing her joy and making everybody else miserable over that? And the pastor said, well, you'd be upset too if somebody spent every bit of what you had given over the past three years on three brooms. See, often the people that complain the loudest and bring division are the people that are doing the least amount of serving in the body of Christ. Serving together in a good day and and serving together in bad times, praying together, keeping our heads up. That's what builds unity and builds family. You see it described in verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Those are unifying moments in the life of a church where people are serving together. You begin to feel disconnected from the church, find a place to serve. You're like, I just, I don't feel like I'm getting to know folks like I ought to be getting to know folks. There's not the unity. I don't feel like I'm part of it. Sign up to serve in Awana. Toby will see you right after the service. He'll get you plugged in somewhere. Get involved in Student Emerge. Ask a teacher how you can help them build up their life group. Ask a deacon about whom you can minister to in their deacon family group. Go on a mission trip. You'll begin begin to experience all these things in verse 12. You'll understand you are a needed part, a vital part of the church family. And unity happens. Harmony happens when we get our minds off of our own needs and on the needs of the body. If you're feeling neglected, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, go and serve somebody else and you'll find out that's not true. Go and minister to the needs of somebody else. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to the hospitality. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about connecting with our community. We have got to get serious about reaching the lost. But if we're not a unified body, then we have nothing to offer that they want to be a part of. Jesus said, by this one thing will they all know that we are his disciples and that we have love one for another. So before we try to take care of all the needs of all the world, we've got to be looking after the needs of one another. So, distributing to the needs of the saints. Sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? Given to hospitality. Back to... Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. That's one thing that our benevolence team tries to stress every time we help somebody here at Trinity that's outside of the church, is how much more their needs would be met if they were part of a church family. So we don't have to apologize to the church when we say, you know what, they're part of the family. We need to look after them. 
we need to take care of them because it becomes an attractive thing for the world to say, you know what, maybe I need to be part of a church family. And through that, we can introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got to be serving, serving together. That's where unity comes from. In a couple of weeks, there's going to be a big ball game just on the other side of Lake Hartwell over there. Some of you have been looking forward to it. Others of you are going, what? (laughs) What ball game? But those of us who kind of bleed red and black, we know there's a big ball game coming up. And a lot of people are, in a couple weeks ago, they're going to put on their red. Jeff's not going to wear that shirt that day. Ty, you're not going to wear that one probably. Those of you with orange, you're going to put on red that day, right? There's a lot of you wearing orange this morning. Man, Ben, we're in trouble. Uh, (laughs) We're going to wear a red and black. But that stadium in Clemson, South Carolina, will be much like most local churches. You're going to have the mass majority of the people up in the stands yelling and screaming and fussing at what this player should have done and that player should have done. This guy could have done that better. That guy could have done that better. Coach could have done better. There's going to be a lot of people yelling and complaining and hopefully a lot of people wearing orange crying about it, right? There's going to be a lot of people complaining, fussing, should have done this, should have been there, should have done that, should have ran this. I would have done this. I would have done that. There's going to be a lot of people yelling, fussing, complaining, but there's going to be 22 guys at a time actually doing all the work. There's going to be 22 guys that have prepared and they're going to be busting their tail to give their best. And those 22 guys and the rest of the guys that have had time in the game, there's going to be a significant number of them that probably gather together when it's all over with and pray together because they've got a life that's bigger than football outside of all that. But the rest of them, are, they're sitting in the crowd. They're, some of them are going to go home laughing, some go home crying, fussing, complaining, crying angry, mad, and they didn't do anything on the field to change things. See, so many churches are that way. But those who are serving, those who are busting their tail to build the kingdom, to build the body of Christ, they're the ones that are getting along with one another because they have to. They're soldiers on the same, in the same army. They're players on the same team. They understand what team, T-E-A-M, football players, you can take this with you. Together, everyone accomplishes more. They understand the importance of unity in family. What a shame it is when the church doesn't. What a shame it is when the church doesn't. I'm excited to be a part of a church that I really believe this. I'm not, I'm not just, if you're a guest today, I'm not saying this just to try to trick you in any way. I'm saying this because I believe it with all my heart. The Trinity family is getting it. We're grasping it. There is a sweet unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. But church, let's be careful when we think we stand lest we fall. Let's do all we can every day, day in, day out, week in, week out, to guard that unity. Let's work together in harmony. That means that that we've got to have spiritual maturity. We've got to take seriously our sincere love one for another. And we've got to have a servant's heart. We've got to be willing to serve others. Would you bow your heads with me?